0: Rupa Subramania and welcome to the Rupa Subramania show. Today we're talking about a very important topic that's been in the news recently, Islamophobia. Islamophobia, which Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and woke progressives in this country characterize as a crisis in Canada, uh, but which in point of fact, in my opinion, is yet another uh, boogeyman or or of a wedge issue that Trudeau has um, Uh, created much like he did with the vaccine mandates about a year and a half ago. Uh, He's even taken the extraordinary step of appointing a special representative on combating Islamophobia. Her name is Amira Al-Gawabi, and she's popularly referred to as Canada's Islamophobia czar. Her appointments kicked up uh, quite a bit of a firestorm, a ruckus, because of her well-publicized tirades against the people of Quebec, for example, claiming that they essentially all hate Muslims. Trudeau's spin doctors have been working overtime to try to salvage the situation, understandably so. I'm thrilled to have two guests today who have a lot to say about the claims that Canada is an Islamophobic country and who actually interrogate and challenge the term Islamophobia, which is... Uh, Been casually bandied around in recent years. It's my pleasure to welcome Rahil Raza, who is president of the Council for Muslims Facing Tomorrow. She's an author and a human rights activist. My other guest is Rahim Mohammed, who's a freelance columnist and joins us from Calgary. Please welcome Rahil and Rahim to the show. Rahil and Rahim, welcome to the show. Uh, It's great to have you both here. Uh, Now, you've both taken uh, a very courageous position in what I think is an increasingly polarized public debate. You're both Muslims, and yet you question the narrative that Islamophobia um, now whatever that that term is supposed to mean exactly is now a major issue in Canada. Uh, so let let's start by um, like uh, by addressing this question what is Islamophobia and and whether you think uh, and, and, and I wonder whether it's meaning it's a meaningful way to look at individual and unconnected acts of violence and hate against Muslims in Canada and elsewhere. Uh, so if uh, we could start with Rahil, that would be wonderful.
1: Well Islamophobia itself is a very contentious term and uh, no one has actually really identified what it means. It sort of remains uh, loosey-goosey. So anyone who wants to stop conversation or shut people up just picks it up and throws it at them and uh, you know people stop in their tracks. But Islamophobia as it is being used now was a term that was created after Mm 9-11 by the Muslim Brotherhood and its legacy groups to do exactly what is being done today, which is to stop conversation, discussion, any healthy critique about Islam or Muslims. So, uh, you know, when uh, Motion 103 was being put forward some years ago, I spoke in the Canadian Parliament against it, saying that this is going to create problems, it is going to be divisive, and it is going to be used against people, and we see that that is exactly what has happened. You know, following that the appointment of Amira Al hawabi that Islamophobia industry report—they're all just um, you know the r- ripple effects of M103 because it opened the doors uh, to people, and usually it is Muslims, of course, uh, who are uh, using this term loosely, randomly uh, labeling people, accusing people, even Muslims. I find that so ironical. And and, and so, you know, it uh, has it done any good? I doubt it. When you see uh, the lashback, when you see how people are responding, uh, you realize that it is uh, a term that is being misused by people. And I absolutely have no time for the term Islamophobia. Now, if you wanted to use the term racism, bigotry, xenophobia, all that does exist,
0: mm-hmm. and we
1: can talk about it and we can deal with it uh, you know, one-on-one, but to paint entire communities as being Islamophobic, uh, to use the term Islamophobia industry as Professor Zain has used in her report, it is a generalized statement that paints all Canadians with this racist bigotry brush and that is so
0: unfair. Uh, yeah, no, that's uh, that's well said, uh, Rahil. Rahim, what about you? Do you do you agree with Rahil on this point? Uh, what do you think of the term Islamophobia, and is it a meaningful way to look at uh, acts of uh, um, discrimination or violence against uh, or hate against Muslims in Canada?
2: And you know, one hundred percent, I would echo Rahil's sentiments. And mm-hmm. you know, I don't think anyone on this call um, is going to debate that we've seen sporadic acts of anti-Muslim violence, you know, the the Quebec City mosque shooting, um, the attack that happened in London um, a few years ago, but to suggest, you know, Islamophobia is a systemic issue in Canada, um, I think it flies in the face of the data we have, Um, you know, we have relatively poor data, um, you know, we still have a relatively small number of incidents, Um, if you're going to dress it up with, you know, 70% increase since X, um, you know, we're still talking about a few dozen incidents in a country with 2 million Muslims. Um, So I thought it was important um, for me to be able to tell the story of my own community. Um, So as as both of you know, the Ismaili community, um, the first refugee community um, to come to Canada en masse in the thousands, um, we were a Muslim community. Um, You know, we have a distinctly Canadian history. Um, We have an uncommonly positive history in Canada. You see Ismaili Muslims Um, you know, all over the leadership in politics, in the media, um, even in a smiley Muslim on the Supreme Court. Um, So if Muslims in Canada were systemically oppressed and held down, um, my community's history uh, within Canada would be totally impossible. Um, So I I just, I I think, um, you know, we we tend to not know our own history very well in, in Canada. And our default position tends to be cosplaying these kind of American uh, grievance politics or culture wars um, when, in fact, you know, Canada has a, a, I would say, overwhelmingly uh, positive history with Muslim immigrations and and Muslim immigrant communities like my own Ismaili community. Um, And we should be talking more about the positive aspects of that history um, instead of selling divisions with with terms like Islamophobia and and calling entire provinces um, Islamophobic
1: picking so, up on what sorry picking up on what raheem is saying i i definitely want to agree but there is a background story here as well and that is when a community which is not overtly violent but they have an extremist ideology and they embrace the muslim brotherhood agenda now part of the muslim brotherhood agenda of course is to infiltrate into the polit- political system and affect public policy and from the way I look at it, this is exactly what we see is happening, you know, through um, M103, through this uh, report for which uh, uh, Professor Zain got a generous uh, grant uh, to write, plus uh, the appointment of uh, the so-called Islamophobia, uh, you know, czar, as I say. you know, these are all uh, part of, of this agenda. So we have to be very cautious about this. Now, the only problem is that when you speak out about these things that, you know, they have this Islamophobia label, they slap on you and they want to shut you up. But like Raheem, I've lived, my family and I have been here for 35 years. I have worked in the government, in the public sector. I have, you know, two boys who work here. My husband worked at the airport. I wish there was an incident that I could remember that was racist, but there hasn't been Mm -hmm. not to say that there haven't been, uh, you know, questions or, you know, challenges. Uh, You know, we are a visible uh, Muslim minority, you know, heritage from Pakistan, but, you know, I don't believe that Canadians are inherently racist Mm -hmm. with the exception of incidents, which happened as Rahim said, the Quebec mosque, the London, Ontario incident for criminal offenses, they should never have happened. But we let law enforcement look after that. And as a follow up, we needed more debate and discussion within communities about why these things have happened. But none of that ever happened. There is never any debate and discussion. There is never any direct challenge to, uh, you know, Rahim or people like me. It's always labels behind our back, which is a cowardly way of. Uh, addressing issues.
0: Uh, Yeah, no, Raheel, I actually wanted to um, um, get you to talk about this uh, um, report that you've been referring to by Professor Professor Zain, I believe. Uh, And you wrote about it in the National Post uh, where you argue that opposing Islamic extremism is not Islamophobia. And you were critical of this report that actually calls you anti-Muslim for your views. (laughs) Do you wanna tell us a bit about this?
1: Yes, well, first of all, you know, that's an oxymoron for anyone to stand on judgment over another person. You know, my uh, personal worship and my belief is something which is very personal to me. It's between me and my God. It's not for public consumption, but how I behave in the public definitely is. So the first thing that really bothered me about this was this way that this was painted with a white brush, as we showed that there is, you know, an industry. You know, there are Canadians sitting around a table in a room discussing how they're going to be racist and bigots, I mean, come on. Uh, You know, if you only look at our government and the number of Muslims that are there in our government, if you, you know, Muslims who are businessmen, doctors, engineers, lawyers, they are in prestigious positions of power. How does that relate to uh, any kind of racism or bigotry or this so-called Islamophobia? So, uh, you know, this generalized statement and then the labeling. I believe my name is mentioned at least 30 times in this report. And uh, you would think that uh, somebody who was a professional would at least have taken the time to call me and discuss with me and say that, look, I'm doing this report. This is what I'm saying. What do you have to say about it? But no, you know, it was just there, uh, along with the other people who were named in it. But then, Uh, you know, there have been so many rebuttals of that report, the fact that it is statistically inaccurate, that, uh, you know, it is not factual. There is a lot of uh, labeling and accusing in it. So um, I did not ever, do not ever feel that I need to offer a defense of what I do, but I did need to explain it in context. My quotes in that report were taken entirely out of context. For example, uh, you know, she, uh, Professor Zain, quoted me as saying that I had written that mosques should be closed for three months. Well, she didn't give the context of that. That was a time which was after these two Ottawa incidents uh, of radicalization, and we had also found that, the, you know, the question came up, at least the question came up to me, where are these Canadians being radicalized? So it turned out that there were some mosques that were radicalizing the youth. I mean, this is not something I'm saying; it's open knowledge. And so I said, okay, let's clean up house. You know, I'm a Muslim. I don't necessarily have to go to a mosque to pray. I can pray at home. But in the meantime, if the mosque is not being used purely for worship purposes and is using political statements and, you know, doing and saying things that are not in uh, favor of our Canadian uh, culture and citizenship. So let's check it out. Let's close them and clean up house. And I didn't think that there was anything wrong in that. But, you know, that was turned into anti-Islam.
0: Yeah. Uh, Rahim, in your recent National Post column, um, you tell a very personal story as an Ismaili Canadian. Um, you, you, you know, you you describe, uh, you're part of what you describe a, as a model minority uh, group in Canada. And, and indeed, the Ismailis are a very successful community in Canada and in India where I was born. Um, could you, uh, and you referred to this earlier, you pointed to specific examples of why um, you think that Canada is not an Islamophobic country, but can you tell me, um, um, you know, could you elaborate a bit on uh, on your own upbringing as an Ismaili Muslim in Canada? Did you face any uh, issues, um, um, you know, directed towards, you know, the fact that you have Muhammad as your last name, um, you know, uh, did that, that, was that ever a problem for you?
2: Well, I mean, I think as any you know Canadian of color, you know, you're mm. gonna get the name calling, you're gonna get the bigotry. Um when I was growing up, the Simpsons was big, so I'd get the Apu kind of welcome to <laughs> Quickie type thing. But but I think, you know, those types of you know instances of bullying, um they shouldn't happen. Um, but you know, I don't think they're indicative of any kind of systemic, um, you know, ro- deeply rooted um nationwide and society wide prejudice. I think it's just unfortunate that you know kids tend to rip on other kids, uh, particularly if they look different, particularly if their names are different. I don't know if there's any government in the country or any um y- you know government officer or or sort of anti-bigotry um SAR that could do anything about that. That's part and parcel of growing up. Um, but one thing I will say about my community, um so my community, as you know, is, is led by Molana um who you you as you may know is as the Aga Khan, um, we we are not a majority population anywhere where we live. Um, So anywhere where there are Ismailis, we're a minority. Um, So because of that, a strategy for integration that we've pursued is a high level of community engagement. Um, So virtually any major Canadian city you go to, um, you will see Ismaili Canadians um, involved in highly visible uh, community activities and highly visible forms of public engagement. Um, so the World Partnership Walk um, over in Vancouver is an example of that. Um, here in Calgary, um, uh, the Smiley community holds a, a pancake breakfast um, each, um, each stampede. Um, so we, um, I think, have been quite strategic in the way we've done community outreach. Um, I think, um, you know, you go to any major Canadian city, um, people are gonna be aware of the Ismaili community. Uh, People are going to be aware uh, of our myriad uh, contributions to the country. And, um, you know, we have a uniquely Canadian history. And I think one, um, that's an important part of both my community's history um, and the country's history as well.
0: Well that's that's a great point actually and so a follow up question to that so uh do do you think that the other uh communities like the sunnis and the Shiites, uh, Shiites don't uh are not are not uh, integrating in the same way as the Ismaili community
2: um so i don't want to make too many blanket statements but mm-hmm. um I, I i another community i would single out Um, for doing a lot in terms of community outreach is the Ahmadiyya community. And Mm -hmm. I I think there's something about sort of oppression within Islam, Um, and specifically um, having an awareness of, you know, just how, uh, just how important it is, um, and just how unique it is uh, to have the level of freedom of worship and and religious freedoms that we have in Canada. Um, I think communities that are oppressed Um, uh, elsewhere and and that have been curtailed in their ability to worship elsewhere um, maybe have a better sense of how unique that uh, you know that that religious freedom is in in a country like Canada Um, and another um, community that I would I would highlight even though they're not a Muslim community they're a Middle Eastern community is the Coptic Christian community Um, you know many of whom are are quite oppressed in in their home country of Egypt Um, they've come to Canada um, they've made an effort to um, forge these um, forge these positive civil society links with with mainstream uh, society, so I mean I can't um, I, I can't um, evaluate every every single Muslim right. diaspora um, in in Canada, but but I, I will say it does seem like there is a um, relationship between communities whose freedom to worship is suppressed in their own countries um, and how well they've integrated in Canada. And another community I would throw in there are um, the most recent wave of Ismailis who've arrived in Canada, have arrived largely from Afghanistan where um, under the Taliban, um, there were strict restrictions on um, their ability to worship and their religion, uh, their ability to practice the faith in in um, in, uh, in a way that was authentic to our sect.
0: Wow, I I had no idea that there were still Islam Ismaili uh, Muslims who were living in Afghanistan until recently. I mean, I that's 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 good to know. Uh, so this leads me to my next question. Uh, why do you, uh, and to, this is for the two of you uh, and maybe Rahim, you could you could start by answering this. Why is it important to distinguish between uh, you know so called Islamophobia and legitimate criticism of Islamist extremism?
2: Well, I think, um, you know, uh, uh, criticizing religious practices, yeah. um, I think it's a foundational form of free speech in any liberal society. Um, if we can criticize Mormonism, uh, if we can criticize Scientology, um, we should be able to criticize Islam as it's worshipped in in various sects. We should be able to criticize things like female genital mutilation um, from a liberal Humanistic framework. Um, you know, we should be able to criticize things um, like like the burqa. You know, from a liberal feminist orientation. And I think um, one of the most important types of free speech in any democratic society is sp- is speech targeting any source of power, uh, be it spiritual, be it political. Um, so I think that is a non-negotiable um, of any civil society. Um, if you can criticize any other religion and any other set of religious practices. Um, I don't understand how Islam is the exception, particularly um, when it's a threat of violence that's dissuading genuine and honest critiques um, of Islam, again, as it's practiced uh, by a number of sects, as well as, um, as Raheel pointed out, kind of the political dimensions of certain Islamist movements.
0: Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, um, Raheel, do you want to take a... Yes,
1: yes, I would. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, in my work as a Muslim, I differentiate very clearly between Islam as a spiritual practice, which is what the Ismailis and the Ahmadiyyas uh, pursue, and Islam, political Islam, which I call Islamism, uh, which, for my perspective, has to be critiqued because it's making a mockery out of my faith. Now, every faith has been open to criticism at one point or the other, but here we have Muslims who will not allow, leave alone criticism. They don't even indulge in debate and discussion. You know, any time that something has happened, you would think that there would be, these our communities would be coming together. And I will pick up on what you were asking about the Sunni community, uh, why many have integrated. There are still large swaths of the community that have not integrated. You know, they have come here, but they're still living by, by the laws. They still believe that, you know, they need to follow Sharia. They feel that they must, uh, you know, they must not accept uh, Canadian values. So and that some of that is being taught to them. So we have always had this problem of the radicalization of the minds of young Muslims. And if we don't speak about it and you do, you again will be immediately slapped with a label of bigot, racist, Islamophobe, everything else. So this is what the reform is, the internal reform that needs to be done, which is to bring Muslims into the 21st century to help them understand that we have come here by choice and we need to embrace those values that you know it's an exchange of values you know we work with our values and then we accept those values that appeal to us in you know must by following the law of cause because none of us are being forced to do anything against our will this is the beauty of the freedoms we have here and the freedom to critique religion is something that everyone should have because religion is an idea And, you know, it can be critiqued and should be critiqued. When we relate that to human beings, then of course we're talking about uh, something different. So this, um, you know, idea that you cannot critique Muslims or Islam uh, is just a shut up call uh, to people. And this totally stops uh, debate and discussion. And that is a very dangerous trajectory because our young people don't know how to deal with this situation. you know they are being uh, they are being forced to accept that uh, you know everything that is happening around them is somehow kosher or that it's acceptable. But we have to question our faith actually asks us the question.
0: So, uh, since you're you're uh, closely um, tied to the uh, Muslim community uh, in Toronto and in Canada in general, uh, what do you what do you make of the current generation of young Muslims? Uh, you know, uh, when it when it comes to uh, questioning uh, Islam or uh, you know or Islamophobia, do they have this knee jerk reaction as uh, their parents did or their grandparents did that any criticism of Islam would be seen as Islamophobic, or do you see the current generation uh, you know uh, changing their um, you know open to open to criticism and uh, and and open to discussion and dialogue
1: the younger generation is definitely much more open to discussion and dialogue they need it because you know, they are not going to abide by centuries old rules and regulations. You know, Many of the, much of the leadership is talking about seventh, seventh century laws and regulations, which are not applicable in the 21st century. These young people want to live their lives as free human beings. The only problem is that they, there are not many safe spaces where they can go and have these debates and discussions. So we in our organization try and create those safe spaces where we can bring them and let them ask whatever they want. You know, we're living in a time where there are interfaith marriages. They have questions about sex and drugs and politics and, uh, you know, just how to live their lives. And in many of the families, you see the generation gap because the parents are living in you know, the olden times, they're not willing to change, but the younger generation has moved away. And as a result, I see many young Muslims leaving the faith as well, which is very sad because they become frustrated and they haven't been able to find answers. So they feel that it's safer to be secular, it's safer, safer to be an atheist and not have any religion at all. The, the sad part is that if they were able to embrace Islam in its most spiritual, beautiful form, it would be something so energizing for them. Uh, you know, it would be something that would give them so much hope and it would give them, you know, there's art and culture, which I have to say that the Ismaili community is fully endorsing and, you know, working with you. Look at the Al Center in Toronto, uh, you know, they promote music and art and center, while at the same time, some of the clergy and the mullahs are telling young children that, uh, you know, music is a sin, playing chess is a sin. Uh, drawing pictures is a sin. For them, everything is a sin. So the kids get frustrated, Mm. you know? So obviously there has to be a change, but a change can only come when Muslims themselves begin to realize that there is a need for reform in the way we practice and understand our faith. And so we need to talk about it.
0: So uh, Raheel, do you think this change is happening? You think there's this internal reform taking place?
1: Yes, at some level it is taking place, but it is you know, it is a challenge. Uh, when you are talking about very small minority communities like the Ismaili and the Ahmadiyya, these are small communities they're able to work within. When you're looking at very large swaths of Muslims like the Sunnis and the Shias, among the Shias there is more reform than there is among the Sunnis. I am from the Sunni perspective of Islam. Uh, my husband is actually from, from the Shia side, so our children are Sushis, uh, so <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, you know, we have uh, very very challenging debates and discussions in our house, but. Uh, Yes, there is a change taking place. It's slow. I don't know whether I'm going to see any results in our generation, but the seeds have been sown. I'm also part of a movement called the Muslim Reform Movement, which, as I said, is a way to bring Muslims into the 21st century and to look at uh, reforming the way in which we practice the faith. Uh, you know, in, in a more modernistic way, in a more small, a liberal way. But, uh, you know, it, it's a long haul. And I'll tell you why. Because the mullahs have control of the large amount, uh, number of Muslims. Uh, it's very fortunate that according to a report I recently read, only 20% of Muslims are Moscowian Muslim Muslims. But, you know, the other 80% have to Uh, look around and see where they can get their incentives from. We're hoping that we can reach them and help them understand that you can live by Canadian values and still be a very good Muslim. In fact, I think a good Canadian is a good Muslim. And so, uh, you know, we need to be able to debate and discuss this. And unfortunately, those spaces for safe space and discussion are few and far between. People are afraid. They've been told you can't talk about it. So when, the, when this concept comes in that, no, you can't talk about it, this is how it is. It's never going to change. Then, of course, people are scared to speak out.
0: Yeah. Uh, here's a question for both of you. Uh, what do you make of the appointment of an Islamophobia czar and the choice of a candidate for this position whose views about Quebecers uh, have created such a firestorm? Uh, Rahim, do you want to go first?
2: Sure. And I think it was a self-inflicted wound for, for the Trudeau government. I mean, my first response is, um, you know, where are the adults in the room in, in the prime minister's office? And I think I wrote in my article is, you know, does anyone in the PMO have access to Google? Um, you know, I, I think a, a quick Google search would have, um, you know, raised, uh, you know, myriad red flags. But but I think, um, unfortunately, the new Islamophobia czar. um, I think she reflects a, a, a set of postmodern views um, that is becoming more and more widespread uh, within the activist class, um, where there is this uh, sort of this type of, of politics of grievance um, that's baked in to how a number of Muslims and other minorities um, are, are, are trained to view the world and and trained to, to view their place in it. And, and I think you see um, just not, not only in her writings about quebec but her writings about things like canada day um you know things like queen elizabeth II. i think she wrote um stephen harper did more to harm the muslim community um uh, than the 9-11 did i mean i think you're, you're really seeing um this sort of self-victimization in this grievance culture um that's been baked into our view of dei and, and i you know i for one you know want to reject this victimization narrative, Um, you know, have I heard racial slurs? Yes. Um, Do I see myself as a victim? No. Do I see my community as a victim? Um, No. I mean, I think my community has, you know, on the whole, um, had a level of success in Canada um, that most minority communities can only envy. And and why are we not telling those stories? I mean, why are we focusing on the grievances and and the victimhood cultures and and not uh, not celebrating the successes that I think are far more plentiful um, when you look at a country like Canada?
1: I absolutely agree with you, Raheem. This idea of the victimhood ideology has been the downfall of so many communities because you can't revel in that. Uh, But you know, it's so ironic and hypocritical that, uh, that the prime minister said that Uh, the Islamophobia czar, was appointed to build bridges. Uh, But (laughs) how do you (laughs) build bridges when you're already destroying them by making these really derogatory remarks? And yes, of course, she has apologized, but words are important. And again, you know, as Rahim said, if there had been a Google search, uh, so many things would have come out, uh, the least one of them being the fact that her previous employer was the NCCM the National Canadian Council of Muslims, who originally, if you remember, uh, went under the name of Care Can. And CARE CAN, sister concern in in the United States, Uh, CARE USA, were unindicted co-conspirators in the Texas terrorism trial. Mm -hmm. So these are things that, uh, you know, uh, which need to be checked. Hey, uh, you know, in the the Islamophobia industry report, they went back uh, 30 years into uh, my background and everything I said or did or wrote or, uh, you know, who I met. So couldn't they have done this search for somebody who was being appointed to this position, which I think is absolutely useless in the sense that the amount of money that is going to be spent on this, uh, you know, this position, Uh, My question would be, uh, is this person who is appointed going to be discussing issues of the persecution of the Uyghur Muslims in China? Is she going to be talking about the persecution of Christians and Ahmadiyyas in uh, Pakistan and the fact that an Ahmadiyya mosque, not the first, was burned down just a week ago? Um, The fact that young Christian girls are being forcibly converted and uh, married to uh, as young as 12 years old. Are they going to address the real issues that are being faced, not just by Muslims, but by non-Muslims? Or is this focus only that I'm the victim and there is racism against me? So as Raheem said, who hasn't faced racism in bigotry? Every single immigrant community that has come into Canada has at some point faced uh, discrimination, racism, bigotry, but there are ways of dealing on uh, with it one on one. And I'll tell you a very interesting example. I used to work in the government. One of my managers was this young man who had come from a small white town where he had never, ever met a person of color or a minority. And every time he read something in the newspaper, he would come in South Asian. He would come and say, "Rahil, your people are in the news again. So one day I said to him, John, your people and my people need to talk. And uh, I took him for coffee and I told him because my colleagues were saying, you know, report him to human rights and he's being racist. And I said, no, I don't think he is. He's just ignorant. So when I explained to him how he was coming across, he was apoplectic with apologies that I had no idea that this is how it sounds. So this uh, conversation, this dialogue taking on these issues. You know, I've been a public speaker for 20 years and some of my presentations, some of the most challenging questions have been put to me like a young student asking me, so um, how many wives does your husband have? Now I could have said, oh my God, this is Islamophobia, but you know, you laugh and you deal with it. It gave me an opportunity to explain why in the Quran, uh, four marriages are allowed and what was the context and what was the history. This is what we as individuals have to do: is to take on these uh, challenging contentions and talk to people and and explain to them. You know, I've never ever believed that Canadians are by nature racist. I think they are a very tolerant community, but there are individuals, and that nothing is going. To, no office of Islamophobia is going to stop them from their racist thinking if that is who they are. We have to work with the rest, as Raheem said. Let's talk about the positives. Yeah. Let's talk about the wonderful contributions of Muslims to this country. Let's talk about what they have done. And let's talk about uh, you know the the community at large and how well-placed they are.
2: That's, so that's um, can good. I jump in there? Um, Rahil made a very interesting point about these ethnic lobby organizations. And I don't know if you both saw, but earlier in the year, I wrote an article in the line um, about how you know, governments who are kind of too lazy to vet um, diversity hires or, or diversity candidates um, will go into these lobby organizations. So another one is the Canadian Arab Federation, um, which um, Omar al-Aqra, currently the transportation minister, he came up as the president of that organization. Um, but that organization um, you know, has expressed such vehemently anti-Semitic views. Um, the Harper government in, in 2009, um, pulled its funding. Um, another really interesting example is the Somali uh, ethnic lobby. Um, so I'm, I'm, it's uh, the um, Ahmed Hussein um, got his start as the president of that lobby in Canada and um, the American arm of that lobby. Um, I think it, it um, gives us a worrying look of, uh, about where, where things might go. So I'm sure um, a lot of you, both of you are familiar with the situation in Minnesota and you know the university professor um, who as part of a course on Islamic art, you know, showed a Sunni image of Prophet Muhammad. Uh, the context there is um, showing an image of Prophet Muhammad. It's sanctioned in a number of, sorry, I said I said Sunni, but Shia. It's sanctioned in a number of Shia sects. Um, so just by virtue of showing that image, um, which was totally respectful from the perspective of that sect and, and completely sanctioned within that sect. Um, a, a university professor was the subject of a witch yeah. hunt. And I think we have to be very careful uh, with the influence that these lobby groups, not only in terms of the people they're sending to Ottawa um, to fill these kind of positions and check these boxes, um, but also what's going on within uh, these lobby organizations that I think trend towards the extremes, um, trend toward more hardline positions. Yes, you're
1: absolutely right. And very rarely do any of these organizations reached out to reach out to people like you and me, to say, let's sit down and have a conversation. They feel so much more comfortable being cowards and speaking behind our backs. But coming back to this whole Islamophobia bogeyman, uh, it's not only the critique, but it's also when certain valid inquiries are termed as Islamophobia, you know that the CRA was uh, making some inquiries into Muslim charities, because it's their job, not just them, they do this for everyone. But immediately, they were called Islamophobic. And and, and our prime minister picked up on this and and, uh, said that uh, this is not something, they shouldn't be singled out. So we have to understand that we are living in a country which is a democracy, and we need to be able to live by the laws that this land, in fact, Islam tells us, live by the laws of the land in which you are, unless it goes against your faith. But unfortunately, many Muslims have forgotten these all these rules. Uh, you know, they are following an ideology uh, which is based on a cult. They are following an ideology uh, that is a victimhood ideology, which is you know extremist. And uh, if anyone uh, happens to ask a question, they are in, they immediately are labeled an Islamophobe. So uh, this is not going to go well in the long run because. Uh, you know, it's not uh, something that Canadians re- need right now, along with political correctness and the woke culture. If you also have, uh, you know, the Islamophobia, Borgi hanging over with people's hands. Canadians by nature are a very peace loving, naive, trusting community. They're not going to speak out and this will then fester.